Hey there, who wants to be more blessed? I do. This is the Something to Bless podcast. And on this show, we are going to talk all things faith, mindset, and behaviors. If I'm speaking your language, stick around. If we want to be more blessed, we got to give God something to work with. And I'm going to help you to do just that. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Barbara Gian at barbaragian.com. I'm so happy to be back with you today. And I hope you guys are all doing amazing. I have a special treat for you. I have a conversation with my husband, Carlos, or Juan, depending if he meets you today, he'll introduce, well, he's always introduced himself as Juan. That's his first name. But I've known him for a very long time, and I know him by his middle name, which is Carlos. It's funny because when we first moved into our first home, way, way back in the day, and we would, you know, introduce ourselves to the neighbors at different times. And then I would later on maybe be in a conversation with a neighbor and I would refer to my husband as Carlos and I would always get these funny looks. They're like, I thought his name was Juan. And so it, it, came, it ended up coming up and we always had a good laugh. But today I'm going to share our conversation. Um, he's going to take you through his journey and experience with his drug and alcohol addiction. Pretty much that consumed him for the past 30 years or so. And it's a lot. There's a lot more to it also. The interview goes um, about 45 minutes. So you're in for the long haul, guys. And I'm thinking of doing a, a follow-up episode about my experience through it all. So... Uh, that might be our next episode. Anyhow, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you can share it maybe with somebody who might need to hear it um, and, and reach out. I will leave his contact information in the show notes and he'll mention it as well. But just FYI, that'll be there for you. And without further ado, here's my conversation with my husband, Carlos. All right, here we are with my husband. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for taking your time to share with us. So I want to give you guys a little bit of background before we get into it. And and it might go from, you know, the end and then looking back, but it might be jumbled to up to. So we'll just, we'll just go with the flow. All right, so just to give listeners some background, we were living in Northern California for... A little over 20 years and in 2015 my husband was medically retired from his job um, and I was still working as a teacher full-time and he and our daughter Mia had wanted to, they we took a trip up here to Southern California and they love this area and they wanted to move here so after he was retired um, he wanted to make the move up here but I wasn't quite ready but in 2017 we finally did we actually made the move down here and we came to Oceanside, California, where we settled right in. We fell in love with the place here, with our home here, everything. But that was short-lived. So shortly after, uh, his health started to decline. And for about a year, I started noticing huge changes in him, in his demeanor, in his appearance, in his sleep habits, his eating habits, all these things. And he, the story I was given by him was that it was due to his um, just health, what do you say, war-related? Like PTSD, things that happened in the Gulf War. 
So he was giving me all these things and I was just kind of accepting what he gave me and trying to do my own research on the side, but believing him. Um, anyways, it was just, it was, it got really, really bad. Long story short, uh, after dealing with this for a good solid year or so, there was a summer where things really took a turn for the worse. And I finally realized that it was drug use. It wasn't all these other issues that he had been telling me it was. And from that point, it just went like down, downward spiral really, really fast. So um, in 2018 is when I discovered he was addicted to drugs and um, I had to go through a whole process of getting him forcibly removed from the house through a court order, filing for divorce, moving out for two weeks with the kids um, while he was in the house, refusing to leave. And eventually he left and we were able to come back. And then he ended up getting help. But I want him to tell a story, but I just wanted to give some background on how things got so crazy just a few short years ago. And I'm going to have you tell your story now. So let's start with, um, I want to start with when you first even decided to pick up or use a drug. Okay. Well. How old were you? I can uh, remember uh, picking up a drink at 12, 13. I, li I liked the way alcohol uh, made me feel. I was never uh, comfortable in my own skin. And when I drank, I was able to talk to people, gave me confidence, it gave me courage. But uh, I was a blackout drunk from the start. I was ne never a good drinker. Um, I was into the party scene at a young age. And I looked forward to uh, drinking, start smoking weed, 13. Weed wasn't really for me. I didn't really like the way it made me feel. But uh, soon after trying weed, I tried cocaine for the first time. When do you think that was? Do you remember? I believe I was a freshman in high school, 14 years old. It seemed like everybody was doing it too, right? All your friends? Um, the people that I was hanging out with were doing drugs, drinking and doing drugs. I was part of the party scene in high school. We threw parties, house parties. We would have alcohol, weed, different drugs. Did So when you used drugs for the first time, and then you were kind of probably using them regularly as part of that whole scene, did you feel hooked right away? Or did it become something that was like regular and just felt like fun? I don't think I got hooked right away. I, I enjoyed drinking and using. Like I said, it gave me courage. I was able to talk to girls. Um, not very, kind of a loner, uh, not very social. And I found that alcohol and drugs gave me the courage that it, that I needed to communicate, talk to people. And, I, and I, I was around the party scene. I actually sold drugs in high school. And um, it was a big part of my life. I kept that a secret from uh, family, parents. Um, only the people that I hung out with knew. I was able to work. I worked in high school. I had a job working for my dad. 
I made money. I saved money. I had a car at 16. But um, I really look forward to like, I was very free spirited and I like going to parties and drinking and using. That was, that was part of the lifestyle. I was never really comfortable in my own skin. So uh, I needed I needed to get loaded to have fun. So that was going on throughout high school. And then you were still young when you joined the Marine Corps. Yeah, so uh, making a lot of bad decisions. I dropped out of high school. I got in trouble a few times. And I was looking at doing a year in YA. And um, also my... Oldest son, son's mom was pregnant with my son and I, I needed to make some decisions. I needed to turn things around. Somebody told me that if I talked to a recruiter, I could get out of going to jail. And that's what I did. I talked to a Marine recruiter and he pretty much signed me up on the spot. So then you spent the next four years there. And then um, what about your drug use and drinking while you were enlisted? So... The judge in my juvenile case gave me a suspended sentence. And basically what that means is that if I joined the Marine Corps, got out with an honorable, the sentence would be suspended. But if I got kicked out, didn't join the Marine Corps, I would go to jail. So I made it a point to um, not use drugs because doing drugs in, in the Marine Corps would get you in trouble and eventually kicked out. So for four years, I, I didn't use any drugs. I drank a lot. Sometimes I drank every day. There was a lot of drinking, especially when I got back from the Gulf War. Everybody was drinking. There were, were other Marines that were using drugs. A lot of them were getting in trouble. But I, I stayed away from hard drugs for four years. So you get out 20, what was it, 21? You were 21 years old? It's 23. I got out in uh, May of 1994, 23 years old. 23. Okay, so then you and I meet, and then we have Gabby when you were 25, I think? Yes. And um, things happened really fast, and we moved in together when Gabby was just about six months or so. And so, and then now you're working at the uh, as a correction officer yes. in the jails. So yes. how did things change then once you got into... That next season so six months after i got out of the marine corps i got hired as a correction officer and uh, i uh, took the job I, I didn't know what i was going to do when i got out of the military the job was pretty much just thrown on my lap i applied and i got hired right away it seemed like they were giving a lot of uh, preferential treatment to veterans, Gulf War veterans who just got out. And that helped me a lot. I was the youngest uh, person in my academy. I was uh, 23 years old. I think the second youngest person was 25, 26. Everybody was in their 30s. But um, I, I did my job. I, did what I needed to do. We worked four days on, four days off. That gave me uh, an opportunity on my days off to drink and occasionally use drugs. I used drugs for a long, long time. 
for a long time, I lived a double life. Wait, are you meaning, so you start working at the jails, you start to use again occasionally, right? Occasionally. We're, we're together at this point, we're living together. We have two kids at this point. Um, well, within the next five years, we have two. And uh, drinking is a big part of your life more than mine, but our life, because we it, it was a social thing. You know, anytime friends or family came over, drinking was automatic, a given. Um, and your drinking increased, I think, as time went on. But when did you start to feel like the drug use was, you know, becoming a lot more? So I do want to say um, a big part of my story is that uh, I... I had PTSD that was undiagnosed and I self-medicated with alcohol and drugs for a lot of years. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I didn't get help. I wasn't offered any help. I grew up thinking that men don't ask for help. I grew up in a Latino household where men don't ask for help. We don't talk about our secrets. Secrets stay in the house. A lot of things that happened throughout my life at that point, things that happened in the Gulf War that I had never talked about. Things that I, I thought I, would, I was gonna take to the grave. And I also wanna say that it's important to talk about mental health awareness it's important to ask for help. If you're a veteran, the help is there. Even if you're not a veteran, there's help. 22 veterans a day commit suicide. Today, I talk to a lot of veterans. A lot of them have trouble talking about the things that bother them. It wasn't easy, it wasn't easy. So basically, Alcohol and drugs was a quick fix for me. It was short term. It got me out of my head. So it had started in high school as being recreational use, partying, having fun, social, being social. When I got out of the Marine Corps and I was I, was, I wasn't drinking to be social anymore. I wasn't drinking and using to have fun. I was using it to numb the pain. Do you think that, um, because a lot of people don't realize the trauma that uh, law enforcement deals with on a regular basis, like working in the jails, on the streets, wherever you are, when you're in law enforcement, there's trauma, like 100% that people don't realize. And you had trauma working as a corrections officer. Did you realize it though, during? Because there's a lot of like um, adrenaline that you say kept you kind of on a natural high too, working all those years. Yeah, now, now being, I go to therapy for my PTSD and now I realize that I do have some PTSD from working in jails for 20 years. I didn't really understand. Um, I, no, I now know that working in the jails basically uh, help maintain my PTSD. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that happen in the jail. 
a lot of uh, things that give you that adrenaline adrenaline rush. Emergencies, fights, inmates versus inmates, inmates versus staff, suicide attempts, assaults, stabbings. It's a violent place. And I was right at home. I, I needed to be there. I was going through a lot of things and it, 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 it was helpful in a way. So when, when I left, when I got medically retired after 20 years, there was a void and I filled that void with drinking more and using more. That's, That's when, yeah, the drinking really increased during that, right after his uh, retirement, because I remember our daughter was taking recyclables to cash them in and she made mention of how many beer cans were filling up the bins on a weekly basis. It was outrageous. Like it was an outrageous amount of drinking that was, was happening. And it all makes sense because now you, you have none of that adrenaline anymore. You have no, nothing to kind of keep you on that high, I guess. Um, and so you turn to drinking. So then that puts us in 2015 when everything started to become uh, much more, I guess, to the surface, coming to the surface. And when we made the move is when it really, really shifted. So when we moved here to Oceanside, um, like I said in the beginning, everything was great. As far as I was aware, you know, early on the first few months, and then your health started to decline. So talk to me about like when we first moved here, how quickly do you feel like you started to spiral or got so go we, down that? We moved to Oceanside and things were good, like you said, when we first got here. I had good intentions. Part of the reason I wanted to move to Oceanside was because I was told that San Diego County has the best resources, resources for veterans. When I uh, first reached out to the VA prior to getting retired, I was visiting the VA in the Stockton area. I was the only Gulf War veteran at the time. And there wasn't a lot of uh, help. I wasn't really seeking help, to be honest. I was, I was happy with the benefits, all the perks of having a rating. But I, w I wasn't trying to get help. As, as my addiction got worse, things started getting really bad. I needed, I wanted to make a change, a move, a change. I thought that was going to be the solution. But you were just drinking, Tracy, I thought. Did you start to use and then you felt like it was getting worse before? I've, I've always drank and I've always uh, used when, when there was an opportunity. I didn't use on a regular basis, but when I got retired, and I had so much time on my hands, so much time to think about all the things that were bothering me. That you things, never dealt with. You never... Things that I never dealt with, things mm -hmm. that were deep inside. I started using daily. So prior to moving, I was already using daily. Okay, so then we move here and you did start going to meetings, but then that turned out to not be the best thing because you ended up meeting people who so initially, like I said, uh, 
we moved, everything was good. I had good intentions. I was gonna try to get help. I did go to some meetings and that's when I realized that there were a lot of uh, veterans who were in the same boat as me, young veterans, guys who just got out of Afghanistan and Iraq. And for some reason, as soon as they found out that I was retired law enforcement, they all kind of cling to me. They all wanted to talk to me. Most veterans are first responders at heart. They all, they all want to get into law enforcement. They all want to become first responders. So they had lots of questions for me. They, wa they wanted to know how I did it, what it was like. They would reach out to me for, for guidance, I guess. But at that, at that time, I, was, I, was, I wasn't really doing really well. And when I would hear the struggles that they were having and the things they were going through and the things that they saw, the things that they did, it really tore me up. It really tore me up. And I, I, I stopped going. I walked away. And things really, really, really got bad with my addiction. So you get, yeah, and that's when everything starts showing up physically and you're, you're not sleeping anymore. You're not eating anymore. You're losing a ton of weight. To, you got down to how many pounds? And my worst, I went down to 145 pounds. I weigh 200 pounds today. I'm healthy. I hadn't weighed that. I, I, I weighed 145 pounds in middle school. It was shocking, but it's so crazy how when it was happening, you know, over time, so close to me, I saw it but I didn't see it. And I remember we went to Vegas. I forget what month or what, what time that was, but it was in the middle of this somewhere. And you just looked, you know, really bad. And I kept having moments of like, at this time I, you know, felt sorry. I felt bad. I thought he was suffering from, you know, all entirely health related issues and it wasn't the case. But I just remember feeling, because he was still drinking a lot and um, his behavior was, you know, erratic and difficult. And I just had so many mixed emotions, but I just remember like noticing his appearance and just thinking to myself, like, what is going on? And, um, and it was just, it was, it was tough. And I, we also did a photo, a family photo shoot during the midst of this before I knew what was going on and you showed up separately and you were all sweaty and you were like, you were just not, you were not present. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Um, what happened was when I when I reached out to the VA and um, they diagnosed me with PTSD, they gave me a 70% rating, which is high for PTSD. They also diagnosed me with Gulf War syndrome. I had a bunch of health issues that were related to my uh, time in the Gulf. It gave me the perfect alibi, I believed. And I and I and I would use that. I would use that. You don't understand. I used the victim, the victim role, just like so many addicts do. You don't know what I've been through. Look at my paperwork. Look what it says in here. I have a hundred percent rating from the VA. I'm a sick individual. I was sick. I was really sick but I made things worse with my addiction. 
And I, and I, I really believed, I really believed that I, I was going to take my secret to the grave. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to live past 50. I had accepted that. I was going to die in my addiction. Nobody understood me. Nobody could relate. Nobody understands what I've been through. That was my mentality. So in 2018, um, once I had the court order in place to force you out of the, the home and you left, uh, I don't know if you, if you were seeking help right away, but, but pretty quickly you did. Like you, you started to seek out, oh, the hospital. Let's share that because that, that was kind of like, that was the turning point, I think. So basically, like I said, I accept, I had, I thought I had accepted my fate, but God had other plans for me. I know now God had other plans for me. So there's a, there's a video before I left the house. I don't remember who recorded it, you or Gabby, but I, I, I was, I, I was a mess. I was on a sick rant delusional out of, out of my mind sucked up I showed I, I showed my sponsor art shout out to art and he uh, he cried it's uh, really heartbreaking to watch that video and um, I tell I tell people I tell art because there's not a lot of people that that have seen it that it got worse than that because as soon as I left the house, as soon as I grabbed my few things, grabbed my backpack, there was no turning back. I had decided that was it. I'm done. Suicidal, but scared. Scared to put that gun to my head and pull the trigger. Suicidal, because I was taking so many risks with my life, doing crazy things, things that I never thought I was capable of. I became a bad character in a movie. I was selling drugs, going across the border, kicking doors in. My days were numbered. I knew they were. God had other plans for me. I had pain throughout my body. My feet were swollen. I couldn't even wear shoes. My hands were the size of catcher mitts. I could barely grab the steering wheel when I was driving. So that forced me to go to the ER. I went three times until I decided to stay. And that's when I was uh, told that I was having kidney failure. That would, I would need to go on dialysis for the rest of my life. That's when everything hit home. I was basically all alone. You had a, uh, you were divorcing me. I couldn't talk to you. None of my kids would talk to me. Nobody wanted to be around me. I, I had pushed away everybody that cared about me. And I was in the hospital being told that I was close to near death. And I was all alone. That's what happened. And so there was a story um, with a nurse who we believe is an angel now, right? Yes. 
who prayed for you or told you to pray? Yeah, I, I, I had given up and um, a nurse, my nurse walked in and asked me if I believed in God. I told her, yes, I've always believed in God. She says, you need to pray. You need to pray to your God. I told her that God doesn't want to hear from me. I'd blown it. That's when she told me, God always wants to hear from you. Let me pray with you. I had a spiritual awakening that night. I prayed like never before. I asked God for forgiveness. I asked God for a second chance. I asked God to help me. I told him that if I was given a second chance, I would ask for help. I would admit that I was a drug addict. For the very first time, I would admit that I was a drug addict. And that's what I did. And that was the obviously the huge turning point. And from there, you went into, you checked yourself into a halfway home. So basically, um, the VA put me in an outpatient program. I had never been to rehab. I had never been to detox. So I was going to an outpatient program they have at the VA. And they helped me find a sober living. And for 45 days, I lived in a sober living with a group of men. They were mostly parolees on parole, probation. Guys that had just gotten out of prison, convicts. I was a retired correction officer. 20 years, law enforcement. It was a humbling experience. I need I needed that. I really did. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I, I know I knew there was a reason. I know now there was a reason. I really needed to humble myself. For a long, long time, it was all about me, my will, my way, my will, my way. Nobody could tell me anything. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I was in control. I had a lot of success in my life. I had a beautiful wife, beautiful family, beautiful kids, new home, swimming pool. We went on vacation. I owned several businesses. Gulf War veteran, medals, ribbons, combat action ribbon, presidential unit citation. I had letters of accommodation from the sheriff. There's no way I was gonna admit I was an addict. There's no way I needed to humble myself. And that's what happened. And at that time you started to talk about scripture and talk about God and I brushed it off. I didn't think, you know, before that you had never been connected to God in any real way and didn't have a relationship with him. And I, and I had, and I thought it was just another, another way to not necessarily win me back, but get on my good side and, and, and make yourself seem like you were really making changes. 
but that end, end up, ended up being a sincere thing that you were doing and have continued to do to this day. Surrendering. Yes, surrendering. Fully and completely and over time, under, coming to a place of understanding that God has always loved you. He's always carried you. We've talked about like all the, all the different times that you put your life at risk and he somehow got you through it without a scar or, you know, anything major happening. But I think it's because he always knew your heart. He always knew that the day would come where you would fully surrender to him and devote your life to him and to serving him. And, and that's what you're doing now with your, your platform on social media. Yes. That's what I try to do. So he has a, a Instagram page. Yeah. Living X clean on Instagram. Reach out. You need help. I know where to find resources. If you're dealing with mental health, PTSD, reach out. It's really important. I felt uh, hopeless for a lot of years. A lot of years. When you're in addiction, when you're trapped in addiction, it's a bad, it's a black, black pit. Even though you 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 won't admit it, you, you are hopeless. You become very hopeless. It's almost impossible. It seems impossible to quit. I tried. I tried. I couldn't do it alone. I needed to ask for help. Today, by the grace of God, I have three years, three months, and a week clean. December 18th, 2018 is my clean date. And I'm grateful. Life is good. Life is good. Something I wanted to talk about was um, when, when it comes to addicts or people who are stuck in their drinking or drug addiction is the, the feelings that a loved one has. So for me, I have several people that I care so much about and who I just have so much heartache and pain over, over knowing that they are stuck in their addiction and they haven't yet got to a place, obviously, of you know just even admitting it um, or dealing with it. You go between, well, for me, I'm speaking for myself. You go between feeling so heartbroken and then so frustrated or angry because you're like, okay, I get addiction. It's not a choice. It's so, so much bigger than you. It's it's overpowering. But at the same time, somebody in addiction has to is the only one who can make a decision to get out of it. Yeah. So uh, what... I what I, uh, when you're in active addiction, the devil has a chokehold on you and it's almost impossible to break free. We say in recovery that people who make it out, people who recover are miracles. We're all miracles. I, I thought I was going to die in my addiction. I really believe that. I really, really believe that. So much, uh, such a black, black place being stuck in addiction. I know it's hard for some people to, to understand how you can continue to use and risk losing everything, but it happens. It happens. When my life was on the line, when my marriage was on the, on the line, my relationship with my kids, I chose drugs. 
I'm not proud of that. But I, I could not stop using. I was so caught up, so caught up. And it happened fast. I went from being a functional addict, being able to hold down a job, pay bills, to basically becoming homeless. I slept in my car for three days. Strung out, out of my mind. Addiction is powerful. Powerful. Do you think people who don't get to that point of, of, of being on the verge of death and ending up in a hospital, like, how do people make this decision to finally be done with it and seek help? Not being in recovery, I've, I've realized that the person has to want it. And there's so many different ways to get to that point. You have to be sick of being tired. Something has to click in your head that you deserve better. You deserve better. And there is so much better. There is. I hated myself for so many years. I hated myself. Now, I love myself. I love myself. When I first got to re uh, recovery, I met some friends. And they loved on me like, I had never been loved like I was loved when I first got into recovery. These people, recovering addicts, loved on me. Like grown men took me under their wing and loved on me. I understand now that in recovery, we, we love people until they learn to love themselves. And that's what happened. Today, I love myself. And if nobody's told you lately that they love you, I love you. God loves you. And we pray for you. We pray for everybody out there. Every day we, when we pray together, uh, we make special mention of anybody who's suffering with mental illness, addiction of alcohol or drugs, or any addiction at all, because that's that's the enemy just taking a hold of you and, and keeping a hold of you, whatever it takes. Um, so we definitely, we pray for all of you who are suffering and just, again, want you to know that there is hope always yes, yes. and there is help. And uh, we got one source right here to reach out if you need it. Um, another thing. So when it comes to our kids, what are your thoughts about the whole thing? Because it's on both of our sides. Well, I'd say more, more my side, I would think. Well, I, I, I'm brutally honest to my kids, sometimes too honest. Um, I know that uh, I started using, using at a young age, so I worry about our youngest son. But I'm very honest with him. I talk to him. I've, I've been through so much. And, uh, I know a lot of parents um, downplay some some uh, drug use, smoking weed, stuff like weed. But uh, for me, uh, things just progressed. They progressed. You know, it started with drinking weed, went into hard drugs by the time I was 14, 15. You know, I, I pray for my kids. I pray that they have the strength to make good decisions. We pray together. I... Uh, have faith that God's going to take care of them. I try not to worry 
but uh, it, it, I, I do think it's a good idea to talk to your kids at a young age. There's so much like in the music, in the shows, social media, it, it is all over. Yeah, uh, drugs, alcohol and drugs are glamorized in today's world. TV, movies, music, it's all around, social media, the internet. It and everybody glamorized. seems so uh, desensitized. Yes, desensitized. Um, it's a bad thing. I worked in the jails. I became desensitized. I thought, I don't know, things get twisted really quickly, really fast. Um, it's used, it's uh, fast to uh, lose perspective on, on what's right and wrong sometimes. But uh, as parents, God wants us to uh, mentor, nurture our kids and guide them. And lead guide by them. example. I know that it's not easy. Sometimes it's easier just to look the other way and let them do whatever. But trust me, you don't want your kids doing just whatever. Nope. We have to we have to be there for them. That's what God wants. Yeah. And speaking on on that topic, um, just with people downplaying or being desensitized, uh, talking about like, I've had a lot of conversations with different people who kind of hold certain drugs in regard to others um, unequally. Like a lot of people seem to think that. Coke is not as harmful or serious as meth. Yeah, there's different levels of uh, drug use. Drugs are drugs, though. Um, and addiction is addiction. And Yeah, I know a lot of people that are, I know a lot of people in recovery, people who are struggling. I know a lot of people that are addicted to cocaine. You can get addicted to cocaine. I know people who are addicted to different pills, smoking weed. You can get addicted to anything, any kind of drug. Sometimes drugs lead to other drugs. For me personally, cocaine le left, uh, led to meth. At the end, that was my drug of choice, meth. It's everywhere. It's all around us. And I think that now that you're clean and sober, like you're hyper aware of things. Like, so we'll see on the commercials, you know, like every other commercial seems to be about drinking. Speaking of, I still drink occasionally. And I know you, I know you didn't like that. Like for a long time, it really bothered you. And it probably still bothers you like to a degree. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever been an alcoholic. My drinking is, you know, really occasional. It doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't. It did. It did. Because you would make comments and I could tell. I was like, if I was uncomfortable, it was because of your energy around it. Like, No. I, I, I've accepted that people are going to drink. Um, I mean, it's okay. People can drink. Turn up. I know I, know I, I can't drink. You know? um, I, one beer for me leads to several beers. Quickly to hard liquor shots. And it's only a matter of time before I'm looking for something different, hard drugs. So I, I can't drink, but not everybody's like me. It's okay to drink socially if you're an adult, as long as you're responsible. I don't, I don't give that. You can drink all you want. Turn up. 
I think, but we just notice how much of uh, how much it is glamorized. I mean, it's everywhere, and it, it's almost made to seem like you can't have fun without it. You can't do this without it. It's just really prevalent. It's all over. It's all around. Yeah, it is. So, um, all right. Well, anything else that you wanted to share about addiction, about your experience, about anything around that? Just uh, if if you're struggling out there, reach out. Reach out, please reach out. Living X Clean. There's a lot of resources on social media, the internet. And if you get help and it's not working, find somebody else. Be persistent. I I attend different recovery uh, meetings. I go to AA, NA. I've attended CR, Celebrate Recovery. I do whatever it takes and i i had to walk away from a few meetings because i had uh conflicts with some of the people in them but that's okay we're not we're not going to get along with everybody but i know i know i have to put god and my recovery first before anything because if i don't i lose everything i lose everything there's hope out there please don't give up you know one one last thing you have you actually have scripture tattooed on you about dry bones or dead bones or something like that. Do you know? My logo <laughs> for Living X Clean is based on the verse Ezekiel thirty-seven. Ezekiel thirty-seven. I, what do you have tattooed on your foot? I thought something else. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'll I'll share that verse outside of this uh, recording because I have to look it up. I don't know it word by word. All right. Well, we hope that um, spoke to somebody and uh, we just yeah, want to remind you over and over that there is help, there is hope, and yes. that you are loved and you are worth everything. God has such amazing plans for you. All right. Well, thank you. And thank you. I'm super proud of you and I love you. I love and, you. I'm proud um, of you. Thank you. And uh, I'm looking forward to the life, the new life that God has um, given to you and to us. All right, everybody, until next time, be a blessing and be blessed. Hey, if you are ready to make shift happen, then I'm inviting you to be a part of my made new coaching program where you are going to be transformed and elevated to your highest version using my weekly instruction as your guide. We are not settling anymore. Head over to barbaraginn.com, click the life coaching tab for all the details. You are not going to want to miss out on this life-changing opportunity. See you over there.